This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. I welcome you to our very first of our three-part series on the Three Angels Messages. And this is the first one in our series and it's entitled Fear God and Give Glory to Him. So let's open with a word of prayer for those of us that are here. <laughs> Loving Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for the time we can spend studying the Bible. And as we studied this first angel's message, I pray that you help us to be blessed and to understand what it is you have to share with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I come from Sydney, Australia. My name is Sharissa Fong. And I live in a place that is very close to the Sydney Adventist Hospital. You probably haven't been there. Some of you have. One person has. Well, Sydney Adventist Hospital every year has a Christmas tradition. And that is before Christmas time, we have carols by candlelight on the lawn of the hospital. And I, I don't think you do that in America because it's probably a bit cold around this time of year <laughs> to have carols by candlelight on a lawn anywhere. But that's what we do. We have carols by candlelight. Everybody in the community comes. You bring your candle, you bring your torch, and you sit on the lawn and you sing carols. And I love it. I love it because it's a family tradition for as long as I can remember. We go there as a family and we enjoy these carols. But my favorite part of the whole carols program is the ending where they play the hallelujah chorus while the fireworks go off. Everybody stands, we watch the fireworks and we hear the hallelujah chorus blaring in the background. And I love it because it's like a little picture of what it will be like when Jesus comes again. That's how I feel. And you know what? Handel wrote the Messiah, the whole Messiah in 24 days. It's amazing. At the time, we are told he was struggling with depression. He was in deep debt. And... Uh, and yet this wonderful masterpiece came as a result of that. And there's a little story behind the Hallelujah Chorus. And it goes like this. One day, Handel's assistant was calling to him, George, George, where are you? There was no response. He was a bit frustrated because this musician spent all of his time in his, at his desk writing and it could be very, it's not very social, you know. They didn't talk much. And so he's calling for him. There's no response. And so frustrated, he gets up and goes looking to find Handel. He opens the door to Handel's room, office, and there was Handel sitting at a desk with tears coming down his cheeks. And the assistant looked at him and said, what's the matter? Why are you crying? And Handel held up the composition of the Hallelujah Chorus that he had just completed. And he said, I did see heaven open and I saw the face of God. Something to that effect. But that's how moved he was when he wrote this composition, which is I believe, the crowning piece of all the works that he wrote in his career. And in fact, King George II, when he heard the Messiah played, when it got to the Hallelujah Chorus, we are told that King George II, he stood to his feet. He wouldn't take that song sitting down. He stood because he recognized that there was a king that was greater than he. And as I think about that wonderful chorus, and I think about the second coming of Jesus, I believe that one day very soon, we too, we will see the heavens open and we will see the face of Jesus as he comes to take us home. And I believe that's, that day is very, very near in the very near future. But there is something that Jesus said had to happen before he returned. And we find he tells us about it before Jesus comes. He tells us in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom 
will be preached in Jamaica. It says all the world. That's right, as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. So friends, the gospel is something that is going to be witnessed, not just preached. It's not just going to be heard, but it will be seen around the world and then the end will come. And notice, friends, that when Jesus spoke these words, he was very specific. He doesn't just say, and a gospel will be preached in all the world. He says, this gospel, very specific choice of language. And there is only one other place in all the Bible where we find a very specific choice of language associated with the gospel, and that is in the book of Revelation. In fact, there's only one other place in the whole Bible that talks about a gospel going around the world globally as well as internationally. I stole that line from George Bush, (laughs) and that's in Revelation chapter 14. So before we explore the three angels' messages, I would like to bring your attention to some context. There are three scenes that we see in Revelation chapter 14. The first scene is right here. We see the 144,000 standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion. Who are the 144,000? The most important thing for you to know about the 144,000 is found in Revelation 14, verse 4. It simply says, These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Friends, wherever Jesus goes, they are there. They are the redeemed. They are in heaven. They are representatives of those who will be ready when Jesus comes. And this is a powerful and a very comforting picture for the faithful friends of Jesus. Because friends, no matter what this life may bring to us, no matter what we may meet in this life, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, fixed on him, the end goal, which is eternity with him. That's the first picture we find here. The second picture we see is that John describes three angels, and that's what we're about to explore, the very first one here, with three messages that must reach the world. And then the third picture we see is a great harvest scene. And according to Matthew 13, we know that this harvest scene is symbolic of the second coming of Jesus, and, uh, and, and it follows the messages of the three angels. So if we look at this picture right here, we can see that the three angels' messages, based on its context within the chapter, they must reach the world before the second coming of Jesus. Is that clear? And the 144,000 are who they are because of their response to this message. Okay? So this is a little bit of background for us. Now back to the 144,000. This picture here is a powerful one. They follow the Lamb at the end of time. And according to the Bible, as we will discover as we read through these messages, it's not going to be easy to follow the Lamb at the end of time. In fact, Revelation 13, 11, it describes a beast that looks like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. This beast performs miracles, signs, and wonders. And because of this, he deceives the inhabitants of the whole earth. He sets up an image in honor of the first beast, and he forces everyone to worship the image or they'll be threatened with, the, with, with, a, with death and with a death decree. No one can buy and sell unless they have the mark of the beast. And so this first beast that comes up out of the water, there's a second beast that comes up out of the earth and the second beast looks like a lamb but it speaks like a dragon. It looks like a lamb so that people think they are following a lamb when in actual fact they are following the beast who receives his power from the dragon. 
So this is a very dramatic picture that we see at the end of time. How can we tell the difference between the lamb and the beast? Can we tell by feeling? Mm -mm. Can we even tell by um, you know, emotions? No, we can't do that. The Bible says he spoke as a dragon. We need to be led by the word of God. We need to follow the Bible. For who can stand against the beast? The lamb stands. And I want to just point out to you this really good quote from Great Controversy. It's from the introduction. In his word, God has committed to men the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation of his will. They are the standard of character, the revealer of doctrines, and underline this, I will, and the test of experience. So we can't even be led by our feelings. We can't be led by what we experience. We must be led by the Word of God. And the three angels' messages unpack for us what it means to follow the Lamb in a world that is united in rebellion against Him. The 144,000, I said this before, they are who they are because they heeded the three angelic appeals from heaven. And the great harvest scene at the end of the chapter means we can safely conclude these messages, prepare a people for the second coming of Jesus. Now, before I came to America, I asked some teenagers in Australia, I said, tell me, what do you know about the three angels' messages? And they answered me with silence. I said, no, no, it's okay, you can tell me. Tell me what you've heard people say. Tell me what you know. So one of them sheepishly spoke up and said, are they good or bad? And then the second one that was brave enough to speak said, can you tell us the story about the three angels again? I want to tell you the story about the first angel now. It's not a story, but let's, uh, let us look here. Revelation 14 verse 6, if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along because I haven't got them all on the screen. Revelation chapter 14 verse 6 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Now the word angel, does anybody know what it means in the Greek? I put it on the screen. Thank you for showing me that. Yes, you're absolutely right. It means messenger in the Greek. Now, what's this messenger doing? He is flying in the midst of heaven. Now, this tells us two things instantly. Number one, flying in the midst of heaven. This is a, a message of heavenly origin. And number two, the, the very fact that it's flying means it is an urgent message. There is a sense of urgency about the message that this angel must bear to the world. How fast do angels fly? Very fast, like lightning. And you thought your internet was fast. These messages, whew, flying in the midst of heaven. And I want to put a quote here on the screen. Two selected messages, page 387. No one hears the voice of these angels, for they are a symbol to represent the people of God who are working in harmony with the universe of heaven. Couldn't say it any better than that, friends. These angels represent heavenly messengers that use human beings. And if you say, Sharissa, that's a little bit far-fetched for me to accept. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6 and verse 15, I'll just read this to you because this is very interesting. Acts chapter 6, verse 15, it says, And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him, which is Stephen in this passage, saw his face as the face of an angel. 
Okay, so this, these angel messengers represent how the gospel has been committed to human beings. By the way, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, did Jesus ask the angels to preach the gospel? No, he committed it to us. So angels help us. Now, friends, if you're excited about Jesus, you are fast. <laughs> if you're excited about Jesus, you've got to tell everybody about Jesus. The angel is flying. This message must fly. And heaven gives this message wings. Notice the end part of our quote. Uh, the people of God are working in harmony with the universe of heaven. Friends, the angelic host anxiously wait to aid in the proclamation of this message that we are studying right now. We're just not doing it like we should. So friends, people in God's church, we shouldn't be quarreling with each other. We need to be about our father's business. We don't have time to be quarreling. It's time to stop doing business as usual and start taking these messages to the world. And the Bible tells us that the angel has the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Now, this is the very first time in the Bible where we find the word gospel used by John. It's not the first time. This is the first time John uses the word gospel, okay? So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Oh, you didn't, you meant to say it's good news, but that's very good. That's, that's the right answer. The cliche answer is usually the gospel is good news. That's what people say. But it's more than that. It has to be more than that. Because if you're part German, and when Germany won the World Cup, that was good news for Germany. So it has to be more than just good news. Good news from what? And my brother here has already said it. So let's go over. Let's look at some texts. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Notice how the Bible describes the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Friends, the gospel is God's power to save everyone who believes, which is what was said here. The gospel is something that is demonstrated. It is something that is displayed and seen, not just stated. It is witnessed. It's the salvation that is offered to everyone because of Jesus. Full, abundant, rich, and free. Save us from what? Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 tells us very clearly. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came down from heaven to this earth to save us from sin. We are saved by his works and not our own. And any obedience which we have is merely a byproduct or fruit of our relationship with Jesus. As a Christian, the gospel means that I can have victory over sin through Jesus. God writes his law on our hearts. Therefore, the gospel of Christ is the power of God to save you and I from the practice, power, and penalty of sin and give us victory over the penalty, power, and presence of sin. This is what the atoning death of Jesus accomplished for us on Calvary. Amen. And John describes that this gospel is carried by a first angel and he places a word before that word gospel. What was it? Having the 
everlasting gospel. What is the everlasting gospel? When I was in the Solomon Islands, which is in the South Pacific, and I was there, and it's very hot in the Solomons, not like here. It's hot. You just, you sweat in the shade. And uh, while I was preaching, I got carried away on the Sabbath because there were so many people there. I preached for over an hour. And at the end, they told me I was preaching the everlasting gospel. <laughs> well, you know what? It's not that. It refers to three things, I believe. The everlasting gospel is everlasting because it has always been true and it cannot be destroyed. Friends, the everlasting gospel was talked about 50 years ago. It was talked about 100 years ago. It's talked about 2,000 years ago. It was true in Noah's day. It was true in Abraham's day. And it's true today. It is everlastingly true. Oh, when I do this, it means amen. Okay. Uh, number two, its effects, its fruitage is everlasting. When we accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have everlasting life. Its fruits are everlasting. That's another reason why it's everlasting. And number three, the tremendous truths of God's love for humanity, God's suffering for humanity, God's plan of salvation for the human race. Friends, it's going to be studied for all eternity as well. So that's why this is called the everlasting gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but do you like watching the news? No, some people don't. Some people don't mind it. Whenever I'm watching the news and I see those two words come up on the bottom of the screen that says breaking news, I just can't take my eyes off the screen because I want to be the first person to tell somebody about what's breaking. The problem is most breaking news takes like three or four hours to finally finish breaking. So. But anyway, I watch the news and I can tell you that still the best news that there is is the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than the everlasting gospel. Amen? Amen. All right, let's read this together. Revelation 14 verse 7 saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Now, if God sends an angel to bring a message, I want to hear it. I don't know about you, but I want to hear it. And when I was studying to be a teacher, one of the first problems I encountered was that when I entered a classroom, I would have a class full of high school students in Australia and I would give them instructions of what we were going to do and nobody could hear me because my voice wasn't loud enough. I didn't have a loud enough voice. Well, this angel doesn't have that problem. This angel speaks with a loud voice and the whole world can hear it. And if someone speaks to you in a loud voice, you know they want you to hear what they are going to say. And so, friends, in other words... We need to proclaim in the power of the Holy Spirit these messages with boldness. And there are three aspects that I see here in this message that I'd like to outline for you. Three essential elements of the first angel's message. Number one is a respect for God. The message begins with fear God and give glory to Him. The first two words out of the angel's mouth, fear God. Now, before I started prac teaching as part of my high school teacher training, I knew exactly the kind of teacher that I wanted to be. I wanted to be the kind of teacher who walked into a classroom and everybody just was quiet and just 
obeyed whatever the teacher said. And I was thinking back to my time in high school, and I was thinking back, who were those teachers that had that effect on everybody? And I thought about it, and I concluded that the reason why some teachers were better than others was because of the way they dressed. And I figured that the way to get people's attention was to wear a leather jacket, because that would tell everybody that I had authority. And so <laughs> I went and bought myself a leather jacket, and tried it, and it didn't work. So it's not the leather jacket that makes people respect you. But this message, this first angel's message, is a calling for the world to fear God. And that word in the Greek actually means to reverence or to have a deep respect for someone. Um, does God deserve our respect? Not based on a leather jacket. Friends, God is the king of the universe. God is the creator of the universe. And throughout history, there have been many wrong pictures of God that have been given. Um, you've had one extreme where people are so afraid of God, you know, they think he's someone to be afraid of rather than someone to be a friend of. Now today, the pendulum has swung and you've got the opposite extreme, which is now everybody thinks that God will just, he's so loving and so forgiving. It doesn't matter what we do against him. He'll overlook anything. So long as you believe something, you'll be okay. We've now swung to the other extreme. But friends, if a person truly fears God, if they truly reverence and have a deep respect for God, it means they have a relationship with him. It means that they trust him. And it means that they're fully surrendered to his will. And when I think about this, I realize that most of the reasons why people do what they do today is because they're afraid of what other people will think of them. But God says this has to change. We need to realize that God is our number one priority. And until we learn this, we aren't Christians. It doesn't matter what other people say. It matters what God says. Amen? This is why every day we need to be spending time in His Word. If we're too busy to even read our Bibles and spend time in the Word of God, then we're busier than heaven ever intended for us to be. We're living in a time in Earth's history when we are told that the world's population will be led to worship and glorify the beast. But friends, as I think about the Bible, the servants of the living God have often been referred to as those who feared Him. I've got two examples here in my notes. Uh, the first one, Noah feared God. Do you remember what Noah did? That's why for 120 years, while the antediluvian world is hurling the titanic insults at him, Noah continued to build a boat and he continued to do this. Why? Because he feared God more than he feared man. I think too about Abraham. Abraham feared God. This is why he was willing to sacrifice his own son because he loved God so much that he would do whatever God called him to do. And John 15 verse 8, if, uh, I'll just read it from my notes here. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will, so you will be my disciples. Friends, look at your life in your own minds for a moment. Are your words, are your deeds bringing glory to God? Matthew chapter 7 verse 20 says, Therefore by their fruits, Jesus says, you will know them. And I want to read this because it's good. When the child of God looks into the word of God and sees the son of God, he or she is changed by the spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. 
It all starts when the child of God looks into the Word of God. And you know what? As I think about this and I think about the first call of the angel here, the first angel's message, I recognize that this first call to fear God and give glory to Him, guess what? It touches on every aspect of our lives. This is amazing. It touches on what we see, what we watch, what we see. You think about television today. Television portrays sin as something beautiful, Adultery is something sweet. Uh, drugs is something cool and violence is just a small thing. But friends, if we look at the word of God, that's nothing that brings God glory right here. I have a friend who asked me as I was preparing for this seminar, she said to me, oh, my boyfriend just went to see this latest Star Wars, is it a movie? movie? And uh, she said to me, oh, I don't know, what do you think about that? And she, she asked me this question while I'm in the middle of writing this series. And the first thing that came to my mind was this, does this give glory to God? I mean, the question you should ask is, you know, what do I think? Is this right? Ask, does this give glory to God? That's the question we should have in our minds. And when I think about that question, I recognize this touches what I listen to the choices of music. I mean, the world is singing about sin and they like to sing about sin. They like to sing about selfishness. Um, it touches what we do. 1 Corinthians, this is worth looking at, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Here the Bible says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, it touches what we do. How do I spend my time? What do I use my talents for? How do I spend my money even? Am I giving glory to God in these things? It touches what we eat, friends. I flick over the page to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. Here, my Bible says, and I'll actually read verses 19 and 20. It says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So this is the health message. Alcohol clouds the brain. Cigarettes pollute the body temple. Drugs make it difficult for us to discern the voice of God. We've got the health message right here in the first angel's message. Not only that, but friends, this touches on what we wear. Did you know that you and I can give glory to God by what we choose to wear? So friends, we need to be dressing with modest simplicity, with the same modest simplicity that characterized the life of Jesus. People should be able to look at us and when, we, when they look at us, they should see us as men and women who dress to glorify God and not ourselves. Dress like men and women who give glory to God. So friends, this is amazing. It's so all-encompassing, this message right here. And not only that, but it's so contrary to our human nature too, isn't it? It's so natural for us to glorify self. But here the angel says, give glory to God. Why? Because God is worthy. And when we get this right, we will discover what a wonderful privilege we have as sinners to bring glory, to live in such a way so that we can bring glory to the King of Kings, the King of the universe. And you might think, oh, does that mean I can't do this, I can't do that? Friends, God will never take away anything from us that we would not readily give up ourselves if we knew what he knew. So giving glory to God, friends, means we reveal his glorious attributes of character in our lives. It means that we are called 
when the call here is to fear God and give glory to Him, we are being called to faithfully represent God in what we do, in what we think, in what we eat, in what we wear, and in all those things that characterize our lives. Because the true Christian is someone who, when people look at them, we remind them of Jesus. That's a true Christian. A true Christian is neither ashamed of the gospel or a shame to the gospel. They represent God aright. And that's what God is looking for. He's calling for his people to represent him aright at the end of time. Perhaps this is why the wisest and in some ways the most foolish man who ever lived, he wrote this in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And it says here in verses 13 and 14, says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And this brings me to the second reason or second element of our message, the first angel's message. The hour of his judgment is come. This is the reason why the angel says we should give glory to God because the hour of his judgment has come. So this is a very interesting message. This is a message that is addressed to a planet in a state of probation. The angel here declares that the hour of his judgment has come, present tense. Notice that the time of judgment coincides with the preaching of the everlasting gospel, which means that as we see the gospel being preached to the whole world, at the same time, God's last day judgment is also taking place in heaven. Are we seeing the gospel being preached around the world today? Absolutely. Friends, this gospel is flying through space, not only, not only through people like you and I, but it is flying on the internet. It is flying through satellite. It is flying through literature. The message is flying through print and Facebook even. God's word is getting out there. This means that right now there is a heavenly judgment underway in heaven, without the three angels' messages, we wouldn't know where we were in the timeline of history. Now, the Bible speaks of four phases of judgment, and I'll just put these on the screen for you. There's the pre-advent or investigative judgment that happens before the coming of Jesus. Then there's the second coming of Jesus when Christ comes and he rewards his faithful followers based on his prior judgment here. Then there's the millennial phase of judgment where the books are open to the saints who live and reign with Christ for a thousand years in heaven. This is done so that the saints can see that God's judgment has been fair. And then finally, at the end of the millennium, we read this in Revelation 20, God pronounces sentence upon the wicked who are destroyed and sin is finally fully eradicated from the universe. So since this judgment is taking place before the second coming of Jesus, because the first angel's message comes before the great harvest, we know that we are looking at an announcement about the pre-advent or investigative judgment phase. Question, when did this phase begin? Well, the book of Daniel has a very important clue for us. Book of Daniel, Daniel means what? God is my judge. It depicts in Daniel chapter 7 an awesome heavenly court scene. In fact, in Daniel 7, we find Daniel, he describes how after the reign of four universal kingdoms, 
that a little horn rises and reigns for 1260 years. This will end. If you study this, and we don't have time to go into it now, but I'm just going to gloss over it and you can look at it later. But this time, this 1260 years, it ends in 1798. After 1798, Daniel sees something remarkable. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Let's look there together. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Actually, I'm going to read verse 8 as well, just because it helps you with context. It says, I watched, sorry, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. And I watched, suddenly the scene changes. And I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. So as Daniel is watching in vision, he sees suddenly this court scene, great court trial taking place in the heavenly temple. Now, if you think back to the Old Testament and sanctuary services there, there was a particular day in the Old Testament sanctuary service that was called the Day of Judgment, the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. On this day, the most holy place in the sanctuary was symbolically cleansed. It was a very solemn day in Israel. It was a day of judgment. Well, watch this. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 14, and again, this is the tip of the iceberg, but watch this. We find another prophecy, and here it says, And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Friends, the cleansing of the sanctuary can be seen as shown to represent a work of judgment in the heavenly temple. 2,300 days, prophetic days is what? 2,300 years, which can be conclusively shown to end in 1844. This means that the heavenly court session, which commenced in the year 1844, October 22, it started then. And it will conclude at the close of probation at the end of time before Jesus comes again. Therefore, the fulfillment of the first angel's message, it commences in the year 1844. This is a very specific reference to the antitypical day of atonement. So, this is very important stuff that we're looking at. This, these messages are not a trivial matter. Accepting or rejecting them is a life and death issue. Uh, just to help illustrate this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then if you flick over to James chapter 2, James chapter 2, verse 12, we see here the standard in the judgment, God's judgment. It says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of Liberty. So there's nothing wrong with God's law 
absolutely nothing wrong with it. His judgment is based upon it. We fear God and give glory to Him when we keep His law. And lastly, I'd just like you to notice 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 17 simply says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end for those who do not obey the gospel of God? These are solemn words. Now, friends, God doesn't need a judgment so that he can work out who is guilty and who is not guilty. God doesn't need a judgment. He already knows everything. So why then is this investigative judgment necessary? The answer is because God must not only be just, but he must be seen to be just by the watching universe and for the sake of humanity and the angels. And so he shows to all that those who are saved in his kingdom at the end of time are worthy because of their relationship to him. The judgment reveals that the saints not only started as saints, but they are finished and have remained saints. And you know what? While eternal life is a gift, it is also a gift that can be lost. We can reject the gift of eternal life. Millions start the Christian life, but they fall away from Christ. But some of you may be married in this room. If someone is married in this room, you will know, even if you're not married, you will know this, okay? <laughs> that those, that getting married is a good thing and it's important, but staying married is equally as important as getting married. And you know what? It's the same with Jesus. Coming to Jesus is important, but it is equally important to keep coming to Jesus day by day. So is the judgment good or bad news? Oh, very good. Well, the judgment is excellent news. And to help illustrate this point, I just share this. My dad's favorite television program in Australia is Judge Judy. He tells me all the time, because I, I can be not as strong as I should be sometimes, and he says, you need to watch Judge Judy and how she deals with people. So I want you to imagine something. This is a hypothetical situation. But imagine you had to appear in court, and your judge was Judge Judy. Now, you've seen how she treats people. How do you feel? I don't know about you, but I'd feel a little bit nervous. This could go either way. But I'll tell you what, how do you feel if Judge Judy is not only your judge, but she's your lawyer? Much better. What a relief. She's going to defend me. Well, you know what? It's the same in the judgment. God is not only, Jesus is not only our judge, but he's our lawyer in the judgment. He's our advocate. And if that is the case, then we have nothing to fear in the judgment. The friends of Jesus have nothing to fear, for he stands and represents us. And that's why in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 22, it says, A judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So this is why the judgment is included as being as part of the everlasting gospel. It is good news. And you know what? God's oppressed people throughout the ages who have suffered incredible persecution. They have longed for and prayed for this judgment, this vindication from their oppressors and their persecutors as it is portrayed symbolically in the plea of the martyred saints underneath the altar in Revelation 6.10 where, they, where their prayer is, How long, O Lord? Well, friends, the judgment hour signals to God's people that the good news is that they are nearing their heavenly home. 
that Jesus is coming soon and an eternity with Jesus is just around the corner. And that's good news. Are you looking forward to an eternity with Jesus? I think we should think more on heaven. The Bible says that Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. Friends, he's had over 2,000 years to be preparing that place. It's going to be very good. And not only that, some translations say um, he's preparing mansions. And other ones say he's preparing rooms. My father's house has many mansions. And other ones it says many rooms. If it's a mansion... Praise the Lord, and if it's a room, guess what? We'll be down the hall from Jesus. So either way, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be just wonderful. It is no exaggeration, therefore, to conclude that a fresh grasp of the gospel in this end-time setting context that we find in Revelation 10, Revelation 14, it creates a new remnant people. A remnant is raised in this context. And in the preaching of of the three angels' messages, preaching of the three angels' messages, Seventh-day Adventists, we find explanation for how we emerged into the arena of history. Seventh-day Adventism didn't come into being because of some church split. Two two churches had a fight. No, the Adventist church was born. No, it is the result of God's leading. The Seventh-day Adventist movement is a movement of destiny, heaven-born, heaven-blessed, and by God's grace, heaven-bound. God raised up this movement for such a time as this to preach the three angels' messages to the world, to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. And by the way, as a little side note right here, just throwing this out there, Laodicea means what? A people judged. So that's another thing for you to go and explore in the context of the three angels' messages. All right, so... Those are the first two aspects. The final third aspect that jumps out at me in this first angel's message is a call to worship the creator God. I don't know about you, but I can almost hear Elijah's stirring appeal to the people on Mount Carmel as I read this message. Remember what he said? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And guess what? In the mid-19th century, A chain of discoveries in the field of biology and geology challenged the idea that God created this world, that God could even create this world. And these discoveries were the beginning of a serious conflict between science and Christianity to the point where we have the development of a theory of evolution. An amazing fact. I give you an amazing fact in this seminar. The amazing fact is this. In 1844... Darwin began publishing his series of Human Evolution and Origins, 1844. Isn't that amazing? And at that same time, God's message is sounding to the world. And I want you to notice in the first angel's message here, the direct allusion to the Sabbath that we find. Exodus says, Exodus 20 verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it, Sabbath day and made it holy. That's what Exodus says. Almost these exact words are used here in Revelation 14. The link is unmistakable. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and springs of water. That's what the angel says. I also want you to notice what God says in Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31 verses 16 and 17. It says right here, Exodus 31, 16 and 17. Therefore the children of Israel 
shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. It is a sign, God says. And this, is, this command is also a command that applies to spiritual Israel today. Friends, the great sign between the true believer and God, which demonstrates that we worship the Creator, is our observance of the seventh-day Sabbath. And this is going to become more and more important as we will see as we go throughout these messages, second and third angels that will follow, because we discover that the world is being lured into false worship, into worship of a beast and his image as depicted in Revelation 13. And in Revelation 13 in verse 8, the Bible says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So this is a life and death message. It is so important. Now, this is an amazing fact as well. Revelation 16, 13 and 14, which we will address again in our next presentation, it talks about three unclean spirits coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet. These unclean spirits are what? fallen angels coming out of the mouth meaning that they speak friends this is amazing god god has his three angels that go out to the world to prepare the world to for the second coming of jesus and to call the world to worship him but then at the same time satan has his own counterfeit three angels message that goes to the world and through lies and lying wonders these these messages these false messages bring the world together in apostasy against god isn't that amazing just the counterfeit is all very remarkable and so can you see why god is anxious for these messages to be preached to the world because he knows that babylon is seeking to control the world and so friends we read again in fact i'm just going to repeat the first angel's message revelation 14 6 and 7 then i saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation tribe tongue and people saying with a loud voice fear god give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of waters. We've got, a, we've got jobs to do. We've got a work to do. There's a message that must reach the world. Amen? I sometimes wonder if the Lord had made the, the gospel a secret. If he told us it was a secret, maybe it would have spread more quickly. You know, don't tell anyone and we all go tell everybody. Well, we can't go home until the world has heard about Jesus. We can't go home. And that's not a challenge when you love him. Because when you love Jesus, it's a joy to tell other people about him. And uh, I love to talk about Jesus, and I know you do too. Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Let's tell the world about him. We don't have the power to do that, but God has the power. We have the will, he has the power, and he has promised us that he will empower us to give this message. And again, thinking back to our context of Revelation 14, it ends with that great harvest scene, symbolic of the second coming of Jesus. In Bible times, the latter rain prepared the harvest for being harvested. Okay? It made the harvest ripe. 
so too at the end of time we find that God will pour out his spirit and latter rain power. And as the Holy Spirit is poured out in this latter rain power, God's people will be empowered. Their witness of this three angels message to the world, it will be amplified and Jesus will come. The world will be prepared and Jesus will come. Amen. I want to conclude with a story and then that's the end of this first message. Uh, there is a man by the name of Hiru Onanda. Nobody here probably knows if I said that right or wrong. It's a Japanese name. But he joined the Japanese army at the age of 20 during the dark days of World War II. Listen to this. On the 26th of December, 1944, Onanda, Onanda was deployed to an island in the Philippines. When he was deployed there, he and his comrades were forbidden to take their lives and they were promised a rescue as soon as the war made it possible. So soon, Ananda and his comrades, they found other soldiers on the island and they began to form a series of cell groups and they went about the island performing, uh, using guerrilla tactics against the Allied forces. Then one day in October 1945, he and his cell, groups after they, cell group members, after they had killed a cow, of a local farmer for food, they stumbled across a leaflet from a local islander to them lying on the ground and it simply said this, the war ended August 15, come down from the mountains. Long into the night, the group came back and they discussed this leaflet until at last they concluded that it was nothing more than allied propaganda material and therefore they would keep fighting. After all, how could Japan lose the war? They hadn't heard about Hiroshima. And so for nearly 30 years, Hiru Ananda remained in hiding, convinced his comrades and officers that he, they would be coming back for him as soon as the war permitted. During this time, he killed 30 locals, injured 100 others, and destroyed various crops. On the 10th of March, 1975, he finally surrendered and marched out of the jungle at the age of 52. He'd been told the war was over, but he did not experience the freedom of this good news for 30 years. That's amazing. You know what? To know the first angel's message or to know the three angels' messages is one thing. But the question is, are we experiencing it? We can know about it and miss it, but we need to experience the three angels' messages. We cannot share with the world what we don't have, what we haven't experienced. We must not just preach the everlasting gospel, but friends, we must have it. We must love it and we must live it in order for this message to be true. Three angels' messages are not just academic. They are to be experienced. And when we truly under understand them, I believe that these messages will change our lives, which is why Jesus says in John 14 and verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Is that clear? That's the beautiful message. I love the three angels' messages. Just love them. So let us close with prayer and, uh, and we're done. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful message, the first angels' message, the call to fear God and give glory to you for the hour of your judgment has come, and to worship you. For you are the creator God. You made everything that is around us, and you made us as well. You are worthy of our worship, and you are worthy of glory and praise. 
And Lord, I pray that as we continue to study your word, that you would help us, Lord, to be instant in season when it comes to sharing Jesus with others. Make us your messengers and send us wherever you need us so that this gospel of the kingdom may reach the world and then Jesus will come. We ask this and we thank you for hearing our prayer in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.